Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that this summer is stressing the importance of being a good steward on the trail, finding ways to avoid contributing to crowding, and staying safe on public lands. We'll talk about how just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages everyone to come out and experience state parks during its centennial season, the 100th anniversary of the state park system, especially through service projects listed online at stateparks.oregon.gov. It's a way to enjoy the parks you love while doing activities like cleaning up trails and restoring wetlands. All right, in today's episode, we're taking a walk through the forest and talking about all things fungi as we say goodbye to summer and head into the peak of mushroom hunting season here in Oregon. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. Okay, today I'm going to pass the reins off to our outdoor intern and resident mushroom fanatic, Skyla Patton, who's going to walk us through the updated mushroom hunting forecast for early fall. She'll introduce us to a myco-educator and mushroom forager, Rachel Zoller, better known as Yellow Eleanor to the foraging community online. She'll have some excellent tips for finding and developing your love for mushrooms for beginners and pros alike. Skyla, it sounds like you've got a lot for us today. So so what's what's the situation? Where are you taking us? Yeah. Hey, Zach. Thank you for letting me hijack your podcast for a full episode to talk about one of my favorite things, mushrooms. I first started foraging with friends and family probably four or five years ago, and pretty much everyone in my immediate circle is now completely and totally hooked. We are going out every weekend, just getting absolutely filthy and loving it. So I'm super, super happy to try and pass this hobby along. Not only are mushrooms a killer addition to most meals and also just a super cute feature of the forest, they're also really fun to try and find on your own, and it's a lot more accessible than I think people often realize. So on that note, for any and all things mushroom related, I tend to look to one of my personal fungus role models, Rachel Zoller. The Instagram and YouTube community know her better as Yellow Eleanor, her mushroom hunting online alias, and I was first introduced to her when we actually began foraging and discovered her Mushrooms 101 playlist, which I always 10 out of 10 recommend for beginners. They're pretty short and really easy to watch. Rachel is a pro at not only mushroom hunting and mycology in general, but she's also so kind and friendly, and the way that she explains things and kind of shares her passion is so relatable, very digestible. It's really awesome. So I asked Rachel, shot her a message on Instagram, and asked if she wanted to work on a podcast with me, talk about all things mushrooms, which is exactly what we did. So let's jump to that interview. My name is Rachel Zoller. Some of you may know me as Yellow Eleanor Online. Uh, I love mushrooms. I love foraging for mushrooms. And most of all, I love teaching others about foraging and mushrooms and all the fun, intricate, interesting details that go along with that. I believe we celebrated this year your 10-year mushroom hunting anniversary in terms of you kind of developing that passion. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about kind of your mushrooming origin story? Sure, of course. Yes. I love talking about this because uh, I like others to see that anybody can do this. I knew nothing about mushrooms growing up. My family was very outdoorsy, but we didn't spend time learning about mushrooms at all. Um, I think that's pretty typical uh, for being in North America is that they're just kind of a hands-off topic. Uh, So it wasn't until after college for me, I was out with a group of folks uh, that we were looking for huckleberries, but the huckleberry season had winded down, uh, but there were mushrooms coming out. And there was one person in the group who knew enough about mushrooms to identify chanterelles. And I was just fascinated because uh, this particular person 
harvested a few chanterelles and was talking about them in such detail that I never even considered before. Scent and texture, uh, different colors, and uh, was fascinated by the fact that I could take this thing home and eat it. Uh, that was very interesting to me. But the rest of the hike that we went on, it was like this unveiling of the forest floor. There were so many colors, shapes, and sizes, and textures. It was just fascinating to me. So following that, I truly just fell in love. After that, I decided I want to try and repeat this experience. I want to learn what else is out here. How come I haven't noticed this before? Like I grew up in the Pacific Northwest hiking, hunting, backpacking, and how did I miss this entire realm that exists? So for me, the transition was really quick from, you know, like, what can I eat to what can I learn? I was online ordering books, reading books, and doing as much research as I could on my own and just took a head dive into the whole thing. And so I'm not officially a true mycologist in the sense of I've never gone to school for it. Uh, however, a very passionate amateur mycologist now. Uh, just because of where that has taken me. Right. And, uh, you know, 10 years of mushroom hunting, that's a lot lengthier than even some educational programs, I'm sure. So I feel like you've got a pretty good <laughs> roster <laughs> under your belt. <laughs> yes, I do. And it, it sure helps. I learn something every season, every single season that comes up. There's something new just about like just looking at the weather or looking at the temperatures outside, whatever it is, it's always adding to it. How many times did I like make eye contact with one of these mushrooms and then maybe just didn't even register it or the times yes. that you're walking past them and they're just out there and you had no idea? Yes, I have very few memories of coming across mushrooms and noticing them before this instance. And it baffles me just that now I can't walk anywhere without seeing them. I I I meet folks and they'll listen to lectures that I give about mushrooms and they'll be like, are there really that many mushrooms? We looked at all these pictures on your slides and like, trust me, after this conversation, you will not be able to walk down the sidewalk without noticing them. They're everywhere. The last time we talked, which was kind of mid to late July, mm -hmm. we were, it, the heat wave was just starting to kick off. It was getting pretty hot outside. And so the four mushrooms that we chatted about that we were thinking we might start to see during that window of time were lobster mushrooms, porcinis, chicken of the woods, and rainbow chanterelles, which I'm actually happy to report my partner and I found a pretty good haul of rainbow chanterelles last weekend on the coast. Yes, that's exciting. <laughs> so yeah, let's tell me what you're looking for in the next couple of weeks. Yes, uh, not, not a lot is going to change for us until we start getting rain now. So it kind of, we kind of hold on to those same mushrooms for another few weeks until we start getting that shift in temperature and that shift in moisture. And that's going to spur on the next wave of mushrooms. So instead of just rainbow chanterelles, we're going to start getting a wide variety of chanterelles. There are uh, about four or five primary species that grow Oregon, Washington area. So your chances of finding them are going to go way up because they're quite abundant in the area. So that's going to be one. If you don't know it, there's a reason why people learn it first, because of its abundance in the area, and it's fairly easy to identify compared to some of the other things out there. The chicken of the woods, uh, it's something that will hang on uh, for another couple of weeks. Uh, at least where I am at, I'm nestled right in the Cascades, uh, and it tends to have a little shorter window there. And so maybe by the time the rains are all coming in, it's going to be done. So if you have your heart set on chicken of the woods, you're going to need to do that in the next couple of weeks, really. The same goes for the lobster mushrooms. They're, they're going to start winding down. Uh, you will find them very late into the fall season, but they are going to be a pile of mush. So don't take them home if they're mushy and they smell like rotting fish, please. Just don't do that to you. <laughs> so that's one that's going to be uh, kind of shifting for us. Uh, things that we could start seeing, though, um, coming up in the next few weeks. One thing I have noticed is there is a group of mushrooms uh, in the Heresium family. And they tend to start fruiting even before the major rains come, maybe just when the temperature shifts happen. And now Heresium, there's a, a couple of them, but you may be familiar if you've ever gone to a farmer's market and seen lion's mane for sale. 
The lion's mane is a heresium species, but we have a couple of other heresium species as well. They all are white with funky dangling spines that look kind of pom-pom-like that grow on dead or dying trees. Delicious, wonderful mushroom. Very easy to identify. A great beginner's mushroom. Um, but we're really lucky uh, where we live. We have species that grow on oak, that grow on cottonwood, and a variety of conifers. So your areas to go look for those, I mean, it could be almost anywhere, really. Um, that's a species I would start looking out for. It's, it's definitely, for me, stays in the top three forever. Porcini is a possibility uh, for, I mean, they, they, we have like a little brief summer window. Uh, but fall porcini, uh, specifically on the coast, they they just need like one good rain. It could be a summer, like a late summer rain, and they'll start coming up. Uh, so if you're on the coast, that's something to look out for. If you're in the Cascades, I feel like in my experience, you're going to need more than just like one good day of rain. But that is something to keep in mind. Uh, and then the other thing, I just feel like it's a really underappreciated mushroom, is the hedgehog mushrooms. We have a couple of species of hedgehogs, all delicious and all edible. Some are real small, like the size of your pinky, and some are large, like the size of your entire hand. But they're fascinating because they kind of look like a chanterelle on top, but then they have little spines dangling down on the underside, uh, which is a unique feature to mushrooms. So it's a really good identification characteristic. And I remember finding them, I believe it was my first or second fall uh, foraging mushrooms, not knowing what I found, uh, but thinking this thing is really weird. <laughs> and then later learning, I should have taken them home and eaten them up. Yeah, those are ones to keep an eye out for. And they, man, to, to narrow down their environment is pretty tough because we have such a variety of species here. So it's more of like, just keep your eye out for kind of peachy, creamy capped mushrooms. And look on the underside. See what might be going on. You could come across some hedgehogs. And for the very first time, I actually laid eyes on the bleeding tooth fungus when we were in the woods. Yes. Okay. So right now is the time. If anybody knows what we're talking about, the bleeding tooth fungus, like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's like marshmallowy white with red blood droplets coming out. It's fascinating. But right now is the time because if the, if the rain comes, it washes away all the little droplets. It really felt like a treasure. It's, I think, probably the most goth mushroom that I have ever laid eyes on. Oh, for sure. But don't eat it. Please don't eat it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, I don't think, of all the mushrooms, it's definitely not one that screams eat me, which is good. It's not super friendly looking. But if you are into natural dyes, it is a mushroom that you can use for doing some natural dyes with if you're into like, fiber art and such. One of the last times that we talked, you mentioned something that was essentially the concept of redefining what success looks like when you go out and mushroom hunt. Mushroom hunting is not just for, you know, getting out there and foraging the mushrooms that you can consume later. I think there's a lot else that goes into that. Right. Yeah, I I know people um, who are, you know, members of the Mycological Society and super into mushroom foraging who are not very interested in even eating mushrooms. I feel like there are some people also where just like the pressure of like, am I getting this right? This really scares me. <laughs> I don't want to eat something that I shouldn't eat. And you don't even have to worry about that. There's so much to appreciate about it. If you think about, you know, the, all the wildflowers that grow around here and how we will go lengths to find like the perfect wildflower hike and everything. And we can look at mushrooms the same way. There's so much variety in the color and the textures and even the smells. Like if you just like get down on the forest floor and smell a mushroom, it do you some good. You observe a lot and it just would might surprise you of what a mushroom can smell like. That no matter what you're doing, you're going to be learning something or you're going to just be soaking in the beauty. And it really it, it can seem super overwhelming when you first start to learn about mushrooms. So if you try and redefine that success of like, I went out into the woods and I saw something I never seen before. I saw something really weird and funky, um, you know, just like those kinds of things, like almost like a checklist of like fun things that you can observe or spend time with. That's that's successful. And no matter what, if you are trying to learn 
to identify a mushroom down to the exact species so that you can eat it. Every mushroom you observe, you're going to learn something from that mushroom in order to help you identify something else. It all kind of fits together like a puzzle piece. The more mushrooms I observe just in general, it's just going to be a collective for me so that when I find, you know, that prize edible I'm looking for, I know how to compare and contrast it to all these other things that I've observed. And it just makes the experience more enriching, really, at that point. I think we often forget to take time where all we're doing is being outdoors and kind of appreciating that moment. Yeah, and I think there's also this kind of, oh, summer's over. And people don't realize there's so much you can do and experience in the fall season being outside. Yes, there's the rain to contend with sometimes. But like you said, it smells so good. Everything is so green. The rain helps with that. Exactly. The rain refreshes everything. And all you need is a really good poncho and you can you can outlast most of it. (laughs) Yeah, we are in this incredibly unique, you know, ecosystem where you can literally walk, you know, from one side of the mountain to the other and be in this completely different space than you were before, you know, and that's a huge advantage when it comes to foraging for all sorts of different things. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I love that about our area. I mean, you can be right on the coast, you can be then in the coast range, and then you can be in the valley in between. You can be on one side of the Cascades or on the other side of the Cascades. And all those are pretty large bioregions, but will give you different diversity. But like you said, I've had experiences where I've been on one side of the road, walked to the other side of the road, and it's already a different enough environment that I'm finding a different variety of mushrooms. Not just a different variety of edible mushrooms, but just just a whole abundance of other colors and types of mushrooms because there's, you know, maybe a specific tree that it likes to associate with. It's on one side of the road, not on the other. It's really incredible to experience that. Yeah. There are so many different kinds of mushrooms. It's like not even funny. The list goes on forever and ever, you know? Oh yeah. I think that that's really cool on one hand, like the fact that We will, in theory, probably never see all of the mushrooms that there are to see. That's just amazing that there's (laughs) such a wide range. But at the same time, I think that that fact of there being so many different varieties, I feel like that's one of the barriers that people recognize when they are kind of starting to get into mushroom hunting. It can feel really overwhelming. Oh, yeah. What is your advice for people getting out there when they're just getting started and kind of tackling that fear of like, all of these mushrooms are out to get me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Use that fear and that caution to your advantage in a way, but don't let it overwhelm you. And I prefer when people are more cautious than not, uh, because those are the folks that are going to ask a lot more questions. So ask those questions like as much as you can connect with other people who are also interested in mushrooms. I joined the Oregon Mycological Society about two years into my mushroom obsession. And I feel like that moment is when like my learning and growing expanded like exponentially. Uh, So connecting with others is huge. And (laughs) believe it or not, I created my Instagram originally just to share mushroom photos because I had taken so many photos of mushrooms and I was like, I need to do something with these. And then it all, all of a sudden, Like out of the woodwork, there's all these other people interested in learning about mushrooms too. And so we kind of learned together, a lot of us. Um, But also there was a certain point where I became the one who was teaching others. And that's why I do what I do today. But not to say just share, just share online or with others what you're passionate about. You never know. You're going to connect with other mushroom lovers. But as far as like going out on your own, it it can be a challenge because uh, mushrooms are very ephemeral. They're only here for a short time. You might find something really interesting and go back a week later to show somebody and it's gone. And so you don't have a lot of opportunity to spend quality time with mushrooms. And that can make the learning uh, seem a little more intimidating. So definitely taking lots of photographs from as many angles as possible on a mushroom so you get all its fun details. Um, But then also narrowing down what your goals are. You know, if you are just wanting to learn their names and learn a little more about like what families they belong to, that's great because that keeps things kind of loose. Uh, You're not worried about exact species as much. It doesn't overwhelm you. You don't all of a sudden feel like you have to go buy a microscope in order to get really detailed. (laughs) 
because <laughs> that that can happen real fast when you realize like oh wow I'm gonna need a lot more tools but don't worry about any of that just enjoy like okay this belongs to the Mycena family love it stick with that that's generally what I do is if I can find like what family something falls in it makes me happy and I'm satisfied with that when it comes to the edibles uh, just start with one or two don't overwhelm yourself because you have to keep in mind every edible mushroom is going to have, you know, two to five or even more potential lookalike species. Uh, and so instead of really just learning one mushroom that you can eat, you're learning that mushroom plus it's lookalike. So you're learning, you know, potentially five mushrooms at once. So you don't want to overwhelm yourself. So pick one or two species that you hear people talking about or you see are fairly popular. Uh, start with that because... Um, they're popular for a reason because you can actually find them pretty easy and also they're very tasty. And then you'll have more folks also who can give you feedback on those mushrooms if you're finding them or if you're not finding them and you think you are because <laughs> that is also the case sometimes. But, you know, keep it simple. Um, don't overwhelm yourself. And then every season, maybe just add something to that. And you never know. You might come across something and it will surprise you and you'll just know. Like I've had that happen early on. Where I came across uh, some mushrooms and I'm just like, man, like, I just, I, I don't know what this is. I don't know what it is, but I've seen it in my books enough that I know this is an edible thing. And, you know, then later do the research and figure things out. Uh, as for me, a personal rule that I have followed and I feel could be wise for others is the first time I believe I found an edible mushroom that I'm looking for, I don't actually consume it that first time. I, I do take it home with me. I go look and compare and contrast it to what's in the field guide, uh, what potential lookalikes um, it may have. And I basically try and prove myself wrong, you know, to see if there's anything else it might possibly be. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still, if, I, if I'm still convinced I have the right mushroom, I, I don't eat it that first time. And then I'll go out another day and hopefully find it again and go through that process again. And what that does, it just really brings that margin for error down and your confidence level up. Because if everything is lining up the same way it did before, then, you know, you're on the right track. Yeah. An abundance of caution definitely does not hurt when it comes to IDing new mushrooms, especially if you're planning on putting it in your body. Oh, yes, please don't. And I will, I will also say if you are really nervous about eating a wild mushroom that you harvested, you could possibly make yourself ill just from your nerves. Um, so I don't recommend it. If you're still at the point where you feel n nervous about it, just don't do it. Maybe, you know, go with somebody else and have them prepare you the meal if that feels more comfortable, you know, uh, or go to a restaurant that's serving, you know, chanterelles. And mm -hmm. I know there's definitely a lot of places in the Pacific Northwest that love forged foods that you could do that at. So, uh, you know, do something to ease you into it, because honestly, you can make yourself sick just off of your own nerves if you don't be careful. Right. And you mentioned during our last conversation also that a really good rule of thumb, and we've actually been practicing this since we talked to you last, when you're trying a new mushroom that you haven't had before, it's always a good idea, of course, to not cook yourself like a five course meal and then eat it all immediately. Yes. <laughs> we've been following the chicken nugget rule. We cut off a little small it. piece and we fry it up and we do that first. And that's been really helpful. Yeah, because you never know how you're going to respond to it. Like, there's so many foods that people are allergic to or just upset their tummies. So just try a small portion of it. See how it settles for you. And then then you can go in and enjoy, like, a smorgasbord of those mushrooms next time. But, you know, you could also make yourself sick with pounds of butter. So keep that in mind. I know I... <laughs> what is your professional take on touching mushrooms mm. in the woods that you don't know about because I know that that is talked about a lot and there's a lot of kind of almost in the same way that the cutting versus plucking controversy has become so large what do you think <laughs> generally speaking uh when I um <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble when I'm with folks in the woods like I take folks out into the woods and do like classes right there where it's hands-on experience when I'm doing that, I'm very much on the side of touch whatever you want because <laughs> I'm right there. I'm able to direct them, you know, wash your hands before you eat your lunch, uh, things like that. Um, so uh, as far as I know, there's only one species and it doesn't grow local here. 
uh, so you won't find it in the Pacific Northwest. There's only one species that would cause you contact, like touching, uh, for you to have some kind of reaction. We're just going to be picking something up, turning it over, giving it a smell, looking at all its anatomical features, uh, and then we're good. Uh, so that, that handling of a mushroom, that tactile information is actually really helpful and beneficial for identifying something. So I do encourage people to hold their mushrooms and to feel them. Um, that sensory experience can actually really help you in identifying something. But just know that, yes, there are other folks who think um, you need to have a little more cautious. Um, but we don't live in an area where anything that I know of that you will touch and get any kind of rash or anything like that. Uh, as far as safety goes with toxic mushrooms versus the edibles, I don't use a separate knife. Partially because if I'm harvesting a mushroom that I already know what it is, say a chanterelle, and I know I'm going to take it home and I'm going to eat it and I use my knife on it. Um, and then I'm harvesting some unknown mushroom that I don't know. I don't use my knife because I want to observe the entire mushroom. So I use my hands to unearth the entire thing because there's a lot of information uh, as far as the anatomy of the mushroom that could be um, below, you know, the surface level of the dirt it can be at the base of the mushroom, which could be buried. And I don't want to cut that off. So I actually don't use my knife on things that are questionable or toxic that I, I'm just, you know, harvesting in order to get an identity, identity of it. Um, in my basket, I do keep things separate though. I will usually have like a bag that's for the curiosity mushrooms. And then the main part of my basket will be for the edibles that I'm collecting for the day. And that really is because mushrooms are very brittle. They can break apart and I don't want to be tired and soaking wet at the end of the day and make a mistake once I'm in the kitchen of not realizing I didn't separate, you know, a one inch little piece that broke off into my edible mushrooms that I didn't know about. So that's, that's usually how I handle those situations. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. So the trails of the Oregon coast and the Tillamook Coast are popular for good reason. They offer everything from panoramic ocean views to stands of venerable old growth trees. The need to get outside and experience these places stronger now than ever, you'll find their parking lots and trails are also often full. With a little pre-planning, you can avoid the crowds and discover some new favorite trails. Visit our trails and recreation map online at TillamookCoast.com. You can choose from a wide variety of lesser known trails. Not only will you be opening yourself up to new discovery, which will be helping to ease the wear and tear on many of our most crowded spots. So once again, check out TillamookCoast.com to get started with your less traveled adventure. Sarah Gafori with American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. I moved to Oregon because of my love for the outdoors. It also inspired me to go to law school and pursue a career in environmental law. At AFRC, I have the pleasure of advocating for science-based forest management throughout the West. Protecting our public lands helps achieve important conservation goals, including clean air, clean water, and robust wildlife habitat. It also helps provide renewable, climate-friendly wood products that we all depend on. We strongly believe that active management of our public lands is the right thing to do for the environment, for the economy, and for our future. Learn more about AFRC at amforest.org. So 
you mentioned anatomy and I want to talk about that a little bit because I know that that's a really big feature on your YouTube channel also. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, we people get into foraging and mushroom hunting and you kind of learn the basics, you know, you know, the stock of the mushroom, you know, the cap, um, mm-hmm. you start to look for things right away at the get go, like, does this have pores or does it have gills? But then I think a lot of people end up kind of tapering off of that. So tell me a little bit, let's talk anatomy. Tell me about why that's so important and how it can help people kind of on that identification journey as they're getting started. Right. I think for me, and I've seen this theme with a lot of other folks, which is why I actually created uh, those videos you you mentioned on YouTube about the anatomy of the mushroom. I I think that's the first point of overwhelm (laughs) is that, you know, people are motivated. They got their basket. They go out to the woods. They pick a few mushrooms and go home. They, or they're right there in the field. They open their field guide and they start reading a description And all of a sudden you realize you don't understand 50% of the words that are being described. You can look in the glossary at the back. That's helpful. Uh, But at the same time, uh, it is a little bit like it's learning a whole new skill with a whole new language to it. Um, And if you don't come from a background, maybe you never, you know, got in school or higher education that, that was anything related to biology, a lot of these terms might seem very foreign. Uh, And that was the case for me. I was quite confused why annulus and peleus were words that I was reading and I just couldn't get them to stick in my brain until I allowed myself permission to use more common phrases like cap and stem and skirt and ring and gills. And now once I was able to give myself permission, I can use these very more common ways or ways I see it as describing it and then it all kind of fit together. And then the terminology came along later as I read more. And so understanding the anatomy of the mushroom is going to give you just a broad picture of what it is. I have seen a lot of folks who grew up harvesting just one type of mushroom and they come to a class and I used to have the expectation that they were going to be able to transfer that skill to learn about other mushrooms and how to identify them pretty quickly. And I realized that wasn't the case because if you don't understand the all the anatomical features you can potentially be looking for on a mushroom, uh, you're not going to have anything to compare and contrast it to. And they were only able to compare and contrast to the one mushroom that they knew. So if you start with the base of anatomy, uh, you know what to look for uh, or what might be missing on a mushroom. Uh, sometimes you're looking for a specific mushroom and it has a lot of really interesting anatomical features and you find something that looks almost identical to it, but one part is missing. And all of a sudden you have, you know, that flag go off in your brain to know, okay, I need to do more research. Uh, Maybe it's not the mushroom I thought it was. Uh, It just really is the baseline for it all. I would say, especially, especially if you're going to be eating wild mushrooms, You're going to need to have every tool in your pocket and anatomy is one of the best ones. Developing that understanding of the checklist that is kind of mushroom anatomy takes away that kind of scary feeling of like, well, am I guessing this? And it's like, no, you have this literal checklist in front of you that if you know how you can go through and start marking off those boxes. So you will know for sure. Exactly. And then and then you realize it can get even more detailed if you want it to. Like it's pretty fun once you realize, okay, I can tell, of course, pores, gills and spines apart from each other. And then you learn, oh, sometimes the gills are smooth and sometimes they're serrated. You know, (laughs) all these fun, interesting details that, you know, at first might seem a little like too much information, but eventually it just becomes kind of like a puzzle, like a little game. I don't know if I get to coin this or if somebody has already come up with this, but I've been referencing as it, it as essentially the myth of common sense. You know, I'm somebody who had the luxury of growing up with parents and community and friends who wanted to go outside, you know, and wanted to be spending time in the woods and learning about things and engaging in that environment. And that played such a huge role, obviously, in like where I am now and my level of not only interest in going outside and doing things like foraging, but also how comfortable I am in that space. And not everybody has that luxury. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important to talk about how like people might even be listening to us having these conversations right now and are like, what the heck is gills? You know, what are you guys talking about? How am I going to do this? (laughs) And so I feel like it's just important to put it out there. That's like, 
before I went out the first time and like had this interest sparked and started to learn, I didn't know those things either. You know, it's not like it's not stuff that you're just supposed to know. You have to learn it. No, I I I remember you saying that to me, the myth of common sense. And it just <laughs> it makes sense if that's you can say that. But <laughs> it's true because uh, something I've noticed even about myself and I had that same thought. You, that you just mentioned that I've already said enough in this conversation that I know somebody who's never forged mushrooms before is already saying that this is too difficult. But at the same time, somebody who's maybe gone out a handful of times is like, eh, maybe I already know all this. So there's this interesting idea, like for me, when I'm trying to teach folks, I want to be like at the level of like, I have to remember what it was like when I was first learning this. I want to remember how I didn't even realize a mushroom could feel different than another mushroom, you know, and just at that level of just like, you got to speak from that level and impart some common sense that other folks may not just never have even got there because I only got there through trial and error, I feel like, for the most part, thankfully, no bad errors, but I'm really passionate about just getting folks interested. You know, and so I don't want to be overwhelming. And it's funny because I have had, I remember one instance, I had a friend step in and not correct me while I was giving a lecture, but like reiterate something that I said, because I was saying, um, so this is an easy one to identify, which I've already said about mushrooms. And as we've been talking, it's an easy one to identify. And she had to step in and say what she means is. <laughs> By comparison to everything else out there, this is easy to identify. However, you look at this picture and you may think you have found this mushroom, but you still need to go through the checklist. Like, and she had to reiterate it for folks so that they understood because I was just kind of speaking from, you know, of course it's easy once you've been doing it for a little while. But, mm -hmm. you know, someone who's never done it might go through that checklist that you were talking about and just really think, well, it doesn't, it's, it's white instead of being kind of creamy orange. So it's probably the same thing. Well, in the world of mushrooms, no, you need to pay attention to that detail. You really do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad she kind of stepped in and reiterated that for the folks because, <laughs> you know, I was just speaking from experience and things get easier as you go along. Right. The emphasis and the importance on community when it comes to mushroom hunting, you know, there are plenty of hobbies that are great to go do on your own and really enjoy some me time. And that's awesome. And I encourage people to do those things. In my humble opinion, mushroom hunting is like intensely not one of those things. Even if it's something where you're just taking your partner or you're just taking your kids, you know, I, there definitely is the sense in the mushroom hunting community of you got to be a little private about your spots. You know, you don't want to <laughs> broadcast them on the evening news. But it's also not something that I would recommend, you know, not telling anybody where you're going and walking out into the woods by yourself. Yeah, I've had to learn that lesson the hard way. <laughs> a lot of people do. And, and it's true because, you know, I already mentioned it was once I plugged into like a mushroom community that I started learning so much more. I am someone who loves solitude. I love being alone in the woods. I kind of grew up in that kind of realm my parents just kind of trusted me to go off and be alone in the woods uh but that is not normal and doing it with a group of people I've had more experiences sharing you know more positive experiences sharing than you know I feel like being by myself uh seeing someone else get excited someone else notices something that I didn't and just the bonding of it too and getting to go away from a forge and cook something fun together from what you found in the woods. I mean, I feel like that's like the pinnacle of community right there. I think my favorite part is probably that like communal barbecue that happens when you yeah. get home and everybody <laughs> is so excited to try the mushrooms and eat and like, oh, what are we going to make with them this time? Mm -hmm. That is just such a nice, you know, it, it really is comforting to have that community and like celebrate that victory with everybody that you worked for you know, worked for that victory with. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you earned it. Not only is it safer, of course, arguably to be out in the woods with other people. Um, but just like you were saying, you have that added advantage of, you know, even if the people that you're with are not necessarily mushroom hunting professionals, you know, another pair of eyes and another brain is going to be awesome. It totally does. It's for me, I've learned as I'm 
scouting for locations to bring folks. If I spend 10 minutes and see a few hand, like a small handful of mushrooms that are interesting, I know it's probably a good spot. And then I bring, you know, 10 people out and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, there's hundreds of things here because <laughs> everybody is pitching in and, and squealing and laughing. And it's just wonderful to, you know, okay. One of my favorite things, I just got to say, bringing groups of people out into the woods, even even though sometimes it can be a little frustrating because it's like they'll go back to that spot forever. And now I know, you know, it's never was my spot. It's now our spot. But one of my favorite things is that when I can see, especially like men, giggle and squeal <laughs> over tiny cute mushrooms. <laughs> you know, just that experience of just like you don't really expect it. And all of a sudden, these people who are out here to get something for their barbecue later, you know, this edible mushroom, but they see the cutest, tiniest mushroom and just start squealing with delight. It's great. It's just, you know, that at that point they're sold, you know, it's not just about, you know, what you can eat. It's about what you can learn right at that point when the people are doing that, you know, you know, you got them hooked. I know via social media and some of your YouTube videos, it seems like you go out with your, you have your two boys. Is that right? Yes, I do. They're six and eight. Yeah. And so it seems like, I feel like more often than not, they seem like they are out and about with you. So what is that experience like of taking the kiddos out? Oh, it's wonderful. Sometimes. Um, most of the time it's wonderful. <laughs> you know, every so often it's like, oh, you know, I pushed them a little too far or we knew it was going to be raining this hard and probably shouldn't have gone out. But for the most part, it's um pretty amazing. Uh, there are times when you know, we're going out looking for mushrooms. It's like the fifth day we're going out. And I think for sure today is going to be the day where they're going to be like, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> but they're still excited and they're still like energized by going out into the woods. You know, sometimes when we go out, they're not even looking for mushrooms anymore. They're just playing imaginary games with the sticks and the pine cones and everything. But they love being out in the woods. And they are, again, another pair of eyes. Even when they're off in their imaginary worlds, they'll end up finding mushrooms, you know, and they'll find things. And they get so excited. There's so much, like, pride that wells up in them. And, uh, you know, taking it home and cooking it, and they know they found those mushrooms. And uh, I hope they never listen to this podcast because I lie to them sometimes. Because I'll be <laughs> like, that one special mushroom that I found by that one bush, make sure I get that on my plate. And I'm like, okay, they all look the same, you know. When you cook them up, but I'll be like, I put it on your plate. Oh, here it is. I found it. <laughs> but they just love it. They just think it's the best thing. I found this mushroom in the woods and I get to eat it. And so I just go along with it. <laughs> but I mean, the experience of going out with them is really amazing. And I started hunting mushrooms before they were born. And so it's just something that they were born into. And they each on their own have had the realization since now being in school that that's just not something everybody knows. <laughs> they, that, that just blows their minds. That's awesome. And I, I think really goes to show that mushroom hunting, you know, as a hobby and as something to just go, you know, spend your weekends enjoying being outside really is for everybody. But tell me a little bit more about just kind of your online presence in the community in general. You know, what can people learn from what you've got out there on the internet? So on my YouTube channel, I, yeah, my Mushroom 101 series, it's just three videos. And I feel like anybody who um, maybe has just been doing this for a short time or is just interested, it's, it's what I wish existed when I first went mushroom foraging, when I first started learning about mushrooms. And I, I mean, ultimately my online presence, uh, happened by accident. I, as previously mentioned, I started an Instagram just to post photos of mushrooms because I needed something to do with all my photos of mushrooms. <laughs> and <laughs> from that grew community and from that grew, uh, opportunities to teach others. And so really for me, uh, when I am teaching online or putting out YouTube videos, I'm I'm doing it for the mushroom newbies uh, because honestly, for me, like I went to YouTube to try and figure out 
you know, if I was finding the right mushrooms, you know, and I remember watching videos that are 20 minutes long and it's just somebody rambling through the woods, swinging their camera back and forth and like shows the mushroom every once in a while, but doesn't talk about like what it looks like. And I'd pause the video a hundred times to try and see the mushroom really good. And I was like, this is not helpful. So <laughs> I like when I started doing videos, I'm like, I want this to be like a resource, like a true resource um, and hopefully entertaining. I do have uh, on my YouTube channel. So for folks who are local to the Pacific Northwest, uh, you'll probably know like regionally, I am near the Gifford Pinchot National Forest. So pretty much everything has been filmed there and everything can be found within the Pacific Northwest that I have filmed. And there are some videos that are specific to mushrooms as well. So like chanterelles, bear's head and so there are things where it's like i really just want to know this specific mushroom a little bit more uh there are some videos that are specific to that as well i gotta tell you like me following other local people uh on social media and seeing what they're finding and where they're finding it of course i never know exactly where but usually it's like coast or cascades that cues me in right away of like oh i need to get to the woods something's popping so um yeah, my social media, you can use that way. You can try and analyze my photos all you want. Try and figure out where I'm going. That's cool with me. I don't mind. <laughs> Rachel, is there anything else that is like quintessential to this kind of mushroom conversation we've had so far that we haven't hit on or that you'd like to add? Oh, man, I just want people to have fun with it. I, it's something I like to encourage people is that you don't have to make like this big old grand plan. To like spend an entire day out in the woods because then it's going to be hard for you to get started. You know, it's hard to chop out a whole day to go on this big adventure or whatever. But just just go to a local park, um, go to you know a local trail, and just make the mental decision to keep your eye out for mushrooms and see what you can find. Get started there. Go in your own backyard. You know. And, and see what you can find once the rain comes. And look at those mushrooms. What details do you notice? And uh, just have fun with it that way. Uh, it'll get you started and it will get you going. And um, always smell your mushrooms. I think I've said it like twice in this podcast. <laughs> smell your mushrooms. And if you watch my one-on-one videos, I say it there. But it really is. It's an all-sensory experience. It's not, um, it's not just what you can eat. It's so much more. And it's so enjoyable. And you can have so much fun with it. And you can find such weird, weird things uh, when you're out in the woods that are just like, so fun that... Maybe you are like me. You grew up in the Pacific Northwest, totally in an outdoorsy family. But for some reason, you know, mushrooms were never part of that. As overwhelming as it might seem to like really get into the nitty gritty of mushrooms and everything, if you just approach it with a little bit of levity and fun, with an ounce of caution, if you're going to be eating anything, um, you're going to have a really positive experience. And honestly, mushroom folks are the most fun people in the world uh you will find the biggest variety of friends ever you're gonna find those that are like super science nerds who can you know speak the latin binomials like it's their first language and you know then you're gonna get the others that are just like culinary masters just because they wanted to see how many different things can they do with a chanterelle Right. And then there's the artists who love to do things with mushroom dyes and just uh, there's so many amazing people. If you start to connect with the mushroom community and honestly, social media is a great way to do it. There's so many fabulous mushroom clubs all along the Pacific Northwest. A lot of them you can uh, even just attend their meetings online just to learn information. If there's a certain speaker or topic you're interested in, I know a lot of them are starting to meet in person again and you can go and connect with people in person. Heading into fall, this is what I really encourage folks to do. Um, heading into the fall, just block out maybe like a day or two in October where you're like, I'm just going to go into the woods and look for mushrooms because that's peak season. You're going to see it. 
but also be looking online uh, in your local community for mushroom fairs or mushroom um, events. So folks in mushroom clubs will start putting on events. Maybe it's even a foray where you go out into the woods with a group of people. Uh, sometimes they're um, a mushroom fair is basically a bunch of mushroom nerds. <laughs> It's the best <laughs> where we go out and we collect mushrooms the entire day before and then we put them like on display like on these uh, like the Oregon Mycological Society does this every year um, and I know a lot of other mushroom clubs do as well but you just like there's all these displays with all these mushrooms and this beautiful mossy tables with names their names common names and Latin binomial names attached to the mushrooms so that you can see what they are and then they'll have a variety of booths and talks and everything like that so we're coming up on the season for that uh, for mushroom event season you know September October November uh, so just be on the lookout for that there's like so many fun things that you can do and I I'm not doing as many mushroom events this fall uh, right now I'm only there's only one in particular that I'm going to be attending and speaking at um, but, uh, there's so many fun things to do. That was a lot. That's, I guess, my final thoughts. <laughs> well, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for joining me again and for helping spread the enthusiasm and the love for <laughs> fungus in the woods. Rachel, this has been great. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that was so awesome. Rachel is always a blast to talk to and really got me itching to go out into the woods again, which is no surprise. I hope that this made others feel inspired to go play in the woods too and see if you can develop your mushroom hunting expertise. On that note of getting outside, there are some other tips included in the written piece online that I would definitely recommend checking out with more on things like basic foraging safety for the group with tools like whistles and just how to make sure you come out of the woods in one piece, which is always a top priority. There's also more details on there if you'd like to learn more about the mushrooms mentioned above, such as their climates or other characteristics for identification and all of that good stuff. Thanks for listening and happy hunting. See you guys later. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.